live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning, depending on where you are in the world, and welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davies, and we are the host of the Water Zone. Hope everybody's having a great day. Uh, Mr. Davies just flew in. Uh, his arms are tired, but uh, I know he went on an airplane. And um, he came back from Florida and uh, just made it uh, 20 minutes before the show started. So, Chris, welcome back, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, thanks, Rob. I appreciate it, man. It was a bit of a close call there, but uh, this week there has been no moss growing on my shoes, I can tell you. I've been, <laughs> we've been all over the place and hoofing it, driving it, and you, you name it. Glad to be oh. home, though. Quite a difference right. from, I was, in, I was on the East Coast in Florida, quite a difference in the weather, though, between there and here. How so? It's cold here, and it's warm <laughs> there. <laughs> well, I'm heading back east. Also, at the end of next week, it is going right. to be 30, 32, and 38 degrees. And the event I'm doing, uh, that I'm going, is going to be an outside event. So it's going to be cold. And uh, I just worry about the planes because, you know, air, airports close down when it snows heavily. And uh, i got to figure out the right route to go, whether I go through Chicago or whether I go to North Carolina and then fly me to Providence and then drive to Connecticut. So that's going to oh. be my, my fun trip for uh, the end of next week. But I'm also traveling... Uh, Monday as well uh, for for work and uh, so I'm, I'm gonna, I only get to be home for half a day and then leave again when I get back on the weekend. So anyway, good to hear from you. Uh, we got a great show tonight. Got a great show tonight. Uh, we have a, a very nice featured guest and 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 one of our most prominent per- people that we have is Miss Chris Austin, who is the purveyor of the world famous Maven's Notebook. Chris, welcome. Hey, how's everyone doing tonight? We doing hey, fine. Great, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, since since we all don't sit next to each other right now because we're not at the studio, we're all doing this remote. It's hard to look at the person next to you and see if they're going to say something or not. Well, so. yeah, I know, I know, and uh, you know, I I don't think we're will we ever be in the studio all together again. I don't know about that. Uh, no, now we're all we're all spread far and wide, but yeah, it's, uh, not, it's, not, yeah, it's not like we leave the office and drive there together or simultaneously we're all hundreds of miles apart from each other right now so uh. yeah well up here in the north state it finally stopped raining we're very happy about that uh and we have just a spectacular day the the temperature's up to about 70 degrees it's blue skies it's just beautiful um but i I hear there's i hear there's a river monster coming in the atmosphere Oh yeah, we're we're not done yet. Um, looks like there's something potentially blowing in over the weekend, and and something else coming uh, beginning of next week. So yeah, the the uh, the parade keeps coming, but uh, you know it's nice to have these days to dry out. It's there's some real interesting trends with all the uh, all the stuff going on. Uh, you know, we have a lot of precipitation, and they talk about this record-breaking snowpack, but really the record-breaking snowpack is in the southern Sierras. Uh, you know, we're talking, um, I think, from, say, Bakersfield down south, uh, you know, to the hills above 
uh, L.A., the mountains above L.A., um, that snowpack is like tracking higher, I believe, than the highest year on record. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit uh, less in the central Sierra. And up here in the northern Sierra, it's looking, it's really like heading towards at, uh, darn near average. Now, we like average, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, the, our largest reservoirs are up here in the north state and really are built to, you know, have a much heavier snowpack up here in the north than there is down there in the south. Uh, but we'll take the snow wherever it is. I think the big question is going to be there's this record-breaking snowpack above in the mountains above LA and Southern California and that's all got to melt and all that water's got to come down and this is not something that uh, Southern California is used to so I'm a bit concerned uh, about what's going to happen when that snow starts coming down and I think we're going to probably find out in a month or so because uh you know 80 90 degree days in southern california in april is not unheard of and if you get a heat wave down there uh there's going to be a lot of water rushing down from the mountains and i I noticed on the news yesterday they were showing some backyards on hills that just went away (laughs) oh yeah yeah, landslides, uh, you know, it, it's the geology of Southern California. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not, uh, we're not talking solid bedrock. And, you know, the the coast crumble and the San Gabriel Mountains are very crumbly. Like, if you drive over, like, what is that, that Angeles Crest Highway, as you drive into those San Gabriel Mountains, you can it you you can see it on the mountainside. It's just crumbly stuff that's just like it just falls off. It's like you you couldn't hike up some of those mountains because you know it's 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 that unstable. And you know so there's a lot of sediment in in all of that, and, and so all of that's got to come down. And uh, it I think it portends a, a somewhat difficult time for Southern California coming up dealing with that water. Uh, You know, if all goes well, it will go into those uh, concrete line channels that used to be rivers and uh, and it will go out to sea. Although, you know, everyone that has recharge basins and, and, you know, any way to sink this into the ground, they're certainly going to try. But I think when it when it starts coming down, it's going to come down hard and fast. Uh, so, uh, and and that means danger for people who like to get in the Los Angeles River Channel, or even those that recreate up in the mountains. You know, like the the rivers that flow out of the mountains. A lot of people go up to uh, you know recreate on the river up there, and so I think it's going to be problematic in that in that way but we'll see uh nonetheless uh the snowpack's great and i think that it's really hard to use the words 
the drought now in California. And I think this has really created a, a big messaging issue. And actually, they talked about this at the Metropolitan meeting. I was listening to it when uh, on Tuesday when they uh, decided to rescind the regional drought emergency and the emergency water conservation program. And, uh, and that was not, as it was actually not staff's choice to do that. The staff wanted to retain the regional drought emergency, but uh, but rescind the those really draconian water restrictions that existed for the folks that lived in the areas dependent on the state water project. But the director said, you know, um, <laughs> we're going to just sound tone deaf if we if we're going to come out and start talking about drought when we have all this snow up in the in the hills and there's all this precipitation and you know the the directors just said you know i don't we we just can't do this we're going to sound silly if we yeah. talk about drought at this point and and they're right and we've talked about it on this program over the past few weeks we're certainly not the landscape is not in a drought anymore anywhere i mean the, you see the the drought monitor pictures are subsiding, but there's like so much water now in all the soils, all the you know the deficits that were in the soils after the years of drought. All all that is is done away with. We're not we're we're certainly not in a landscape drought, but our water problems, our water supply problems are not over. Uh, you know again. During those last three dry, very dry years, uh, a lot of people hit their groundwater basins really hard. And the groundwater, uh, is it takes a lot longer to get that water back into groundwater. So our groundwater problems are, will continue. And, you know, the other thing that they talked about on the Colorado River is that, you know, again, the Colorado River has problems. Now, they also have a, a huge snowpack uh, in the up, upper basin areas that feed into the Colorado River, and so that's good news, and that will help, but it will only help to the extent that the probably no state will have to take a large cut this year on water. But those reservoirs have been in decline for decades, like 15, 20 years, and one good snow season is not going to change that. As a matter of fact, they're having to renegotiate uh, drought guidelines that they negotiated in 2007. So, I mean, that tells you how long this has been going on. Uh, the deficit in the Colorado Basin will not be solved by one really good wet year, not by three or five really good wet years. I think, you know, those are massive reservoirs. Uh, they're circling the drain practically. So it's, you know, on the Colorado River, it's not going to be a drought buster. Well, if they can divert all the floodwaters that they get to put back in the ground, that would be nice. Yeah, well, the problem is, you know, where where do you do that? And in the Central Valley, 
they're using farmlands now to um, to do that. I'm sorry, I have lawn people. Uh, they, you know, uh, but in areas like Los Angeles, it's much harder. You know, you just can't point to any piece of land and say make a recharge basin there. I mean, it's got to have the geology <laughs> to connect oh, to the aquifer. And not every, you know, you just can't point. And, you know, they they cement, they, they concrete line the L.A. River and all the other L.A., and all the other rivers in L.A. back in the, I don't know, 30s and 40s, the Army Corps did this because they had all these big floods in L.A. So they wanted to control them. So they concrete lined all the river channels. And what that did is it made it possible for them to build houses up to the, the edge of those concrete channels. And you just can't, uh, you know, you just can't condemn people's homes to build a recharge basin. Uh, it's a highly developed area. There's not a lot of space for it. Um, so that is why they're really trying to work on these more distributed stormwater capture uh, strategies like what people do on their own lawns, like we talked about two weeks ago, or, you know, in housing development, um, because that's kind of the only frontier that L.A. really has available to it. Uh, there, You know, L.A. has been, uh, the, the water managers in L.A. are pretty smart, and they have been dealing with water issues like even as far back as the 1950s, where there was seawater intrusion coming into the coastal aquifers because they were pumping the groundwater down. And so way back in the 1950s, they came up with a way to make a barrier for that by injecting water into those aquifers near the, the coast to prevent the seawater intrusion. And, I mean, that's like was quite revolutionary idea back in the 1950s. But, I mean, they've had that in, they've had that in play. They, you know, they knew that groundwater had to be protected, had to be stored. And, you know, and so they've, they've done, they've made a lot of good moves, um, you know, so, and, and they continue to work towards that. You know, I heard that uh, I heard I'm participating next week in the uh, in a meeting at the uh, State Water Resources Control Board, and they're talking about a framework for making conservation in California a uh, way of life, make it a regulation. So they, oh they, yeah, this is so they, the outcome of Jerry Brown's legislation yes. uh, many many years ago, and they've been working on this. I mean, this is not something that they have just come up with due to the drought. I mean, this is this has been in process since that law was passed, and yep. they have been working with the urban water agencies and uh, you know other interested parties on crafting this reg regulation. And this regulation is going to set water budgets for uh, you know, urban water agencies that where they'll say, okay, you know, we think indoor use should be 55 gallons, you know, per day per resident. And they'll actually calculate how many people are in that house. And outdoor 
uh, irrigation should be at this level, and and they they're going to do that by they've already done this. They've done satellite passovers of all these urban areas, and they have mapped out the the outdoor landscaping footprint versus the indoor. And they're going to calculate for each urban water agency like a water budget. And then it is incumbent upon that urban water agency to try and stay within that budget. And if they don't, then there could be fines involved. But this is the one where people say, oh, you can't take a shower and do your laundry on the same day or, or you'll get a fine. And, and this not that's not true. <laughs> that's not the way it's going to work. The fines aren't going to go to the individual homeowners. It, it would go theoretically to the urban water agency. But I think that, you know, I mean, this is following a, a similar task that they took with the power companies, where it's getting too hard to build new power plants. So they said, rather than build a new power plant, we want you to get your customers to be more energy efficient. And so they came up with incentives and and, and sorts of things for the the power companies to do this. So. And the power companies, you know, like if you use a lot of power, then chances are someone stopped by your house and tried to sell you solar panels, right? Um, you know, it, they, it, it encourages consumers to do other things other than simply continue to use more and more electricity and creating the need to build another power plant. So this is the same thing. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that there are supposed fines if an energy company did not, you know, get its customers to reduce use, but I'm, I don't know if any fine has ever actually been levied. I haven't looked. Maybe it has. Maybe it hasn't. But, uh, but that's the idea. And it's, so it's not like it's not a new thought. It's sort of tailoring sure. after the energy. And, they, and they're using the same things they've done before, like you know, like a supplier, how they calculate, like you said, the residential outdoor budget. They, you, you, you take a residential outdoor standard, which is the landscape efficiency factor. You, you, you multiply that with your net ETO, um, for, which for our audience is the effective precipitation inches per year, and then you look at the landscape area with the square feet of irrigated uh, area. Then, then there's a, a unit conversion factor. Which I think I think it's point six two they're looking at, and that 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 encompasses coming up with the residential outdoor budget, and and it hasn't changed in years. I mean that's the same same thinking they've had as you said for many years. So they it, it, it's built on common sense. The only question that I would probably ask, okay, that's all well and good, but like I've always asked in these meetings, what happens down the road when the homeowner sells this house, just like the Sigma. You know, you got to have this. To, these are the regulations. You build it to it. What happens after this? Are they going to make people have to put the system back to the original uh, approval status before it can be sold? No one's talking uh, about that because yeah, you know, people. Can, you, you can offset standards, and everybody can comply to that as it's brand new. But then, what happens over time? People touch things. People change the controller uh, settings. Uh, they have their their sprinkler system needs uh, maintenance that hasn't been there. 
I mean, so those are the things. It's all great intentions up front, but I don't see anything that's long lasting that's going to stick right now. That's just one of well, my concerns. Well, I think the the whole idea with this framework is that your utility company would be monitoring this, and if you sell the house, then I'm sure that you know th there needs to be education. Huh? You know, yeah. you have to let people know what they need to be doing, um, but. Uh, you know, it's uh, but this is a regulation, and it's also going to apply to an area in totality, not particularly one household only. So, you know, if you're a water agency, you're probably going to be looking at your data, and you're probably going to be targeting your high water use customers and trying to get out there and see what you can do to reduce their water use. Um, I think that's the direction it's meant to go. Let me, let me ask this question to both of you. I'll start with Chris Davey first. Chris, do you think, in some, I, well, I know in some cities in California, they have two uh, ways to get water comes in, one's for the indoors and one's for the outdoor meters. Do you think that's something that they need to make for all new homes? I all think it's starting to happen already here in Southern California, for sure. I've been on several other, uh, several new construction sites for, for home development, which has only uh -huh. just began to, you know, like crop up again, Rob. It's been kind of slow here for uh, for a little bit. Right. Unusual for Southern California, but um, all of the all of these new homes, even townhomes and apartment buildings, are having dual water systems uh, installed right from the get go. I I've seen it uh, start three, four, maybe even five years ago. But today, if you look at anything that's starting now, especially if it's in the city where I live in, it is uh, it's required. Yeah, because it's. It's kind of hard to tell. I mean, you know, I, I know people challenged the last time with the water budgets because they had pets or their kids come home from college during the summer, so there's more people in the house and things like that. Those things have to be calculated. And there was, Christy, you can remind me, there was a company that was did some sort of, um, uh, I, I guess, like, like, like Google Earth, where they can calculate or they can, they can zoom in on a property and tell you how much sprinklers and, that you're going to need and all of that. And has that gone anywhere that you know? I mean, is, is that a, has that become, a, uh, you know, something that people want, water agencies want? Well, that's Which part of what... You're asking? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say that's part of what, you know, the, the Department of Water Resources has done in figuring out this, is that they have done that analysis on the property. So they know how much, you know, not not how many sprinklers they need to do it, but they 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 know precisely how much is hardscape, how much is landscape to be watered, and they do have variances built into this framework uh, for say if you if you're a, a seasonal place and you have people that come in the summertime to visit and rent houses, but other times of the year it's relatively empty, then, you know, there are variances for this. If you live in a place that has a lot of horse ranches and uh, you have horses or other livestock, that they have a variance for that. So they've really tried to take into consideration all the different situations that might exist in a, in a water area. I think, Davey, I think there was some software that was presented to us maybe two years ago it was like over a hundred thousand dollars do you remember that oh yeah we did 
Yeah, I remember. Absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, very, very expensive. And, you know, they wanted to try to make it a standard or have one company put it out, but then let everybody else use it. It was, it was very expensive, but I, I, I think it was good. I think it was a better way to, to, to really scope out somebody's home. I just can't see somebody going and doing from the water agency, sending somebody to everybody's house every, you know, all the time just to, to do it. It's just, it's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. No, yeah, uh, and, think, yeah. and I'm sure it, they will focus on the high water use, the high water users in their district, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry for interjecting my stuff. Go, go ahead, both of you. <laughs> no, no, Bill, I was just going to say, you know, that, that software like that is great, but it's more institutional or commercial. It can't, it can't be scaled or driven down to the... Uh, to the individual user, and I think that was, you know, that was at the Achilles' heel. But yeah. since then, um, I mean, now you can, you know, now you can go on to the local water agency here and put in your um, map page number or your address, and it'll it'll do exactly the same thing for free. So there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Progress. Well, progress. It's amazing. You know. There's so many products like that that at one time someone wanted to charge you a lot of money for, and then progress comes and hey, you can do it all yourself. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh Chris, Chris, I got to ask you one more question before we go on. I know it's the bottom of the hour here, and we got to get to a commercial. But I read an indi- I didn't dive as deep as I usually do into the notebook this week because I was away. But listen, I read this article about the Imperial Valley challenging the you know the Colorado River seven state solution. Um, very interesting article. Did you see it? Yeah, I know I posted it. Yeah, um, I okay. don't know. Can't remember if I actually read through it a whole bunch, but uh, but yeah, it's it's hard for the Imperial Valley. Uh, you know, yeah. they have long they have those long held water rights, and they have said after the last time they came and took water away, they said never again. Never again, and so I don't know. We'll see. And, and, and they mean it. <laughs> so yeah, well, Chris, we're, we're coming up to our commercial break, and uh, we appreciate that you're on and giving us the latest and greatest, and 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 sometimes the bad bad things that are happening in water in California. But we do appreciate it for our listeners. Do what Chris, Chris Davy, and I do. We go to mavensnotebook.com. Actually, comes delivered to us every single day on the internet. And uh, it's a great way to get all the latest information of what's happening in California and around around California. Uh, you can become a sponsor if you'd like, or you can become a subscriber. But it's a great way to to really find out what's happening. In the, and and uh, Miss Maven digs deep into what's going on, and and, uh, <laughs> and she makes a great splash in the water business. So we appreciate that. <laughs> so Chris, thank you very much, and we'll we'll be with you next week. So uh, you have a good good one. All right. Good evening, everybody. Have a great week, Chris. All right. We're going to take a commercial break, and we'll be back with one of our featured guests. So stick around. It's going to be an interesting conversation. And uh, we'll be right back in just two minutes. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. 
Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Five nine four eight six eight nine. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulations. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Miss your favorite show? Download the podcast at kcaaradio.com. Radio Show program. I'm your host, Chris Dady, along with the venerable Robert Starr, and that, uh, look that up in your Funkin' Wagnalls, Rob. That's a, that's a compliment, buddy. I wouldn't steer you wrong. Tonight, we got a great guest on. Um, I'm going to tell you, he's an industry colleague of ours. He's a friend of the Toro team, a local from Las Vegas, and let me tell you a little bit about him. There's a lot of credentials behind this guy. So here's just a few, current and past, by the way. So He's a founding member of the Water Smart Technology Group. He's also a board member on Southern Nevada Irrigation Association. He's got his advanced irrigation design certification. He's also CLIA, or Certified Landscape Water uh, Water Auditor, and he's a licensed contractor. So his name is Tom Raiden, and we're going to bring him on the water show. Tom, welcome. You're on the water zone, buddy. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. So we're going to ask you a question right off the bat. We kind of do this with all of our guests. It kind of gives us a little, on our listeners, a little insight into you because there's usually a good story about how all of us, including you, Tom, got into this business, right? What what kind of steered you into uh, into the irrigation industry? Well, very interesting. Um, so after leaving the military, I 
was working for an engineering company building um, weapons guidance systems. And um, my family were contractors, not landscape, but um, uh, contractors. And I just decided that I didn't want to work in that industry anymore and decided I was going to be the uh, quote-unquote tree hugger. And um, so when I started in the landscape industry, I saw uh, a need for um, um, comprehensive irrigation scheduling. And that was right about the time that um, some of the golf industry water management was moving into the landscape industry. And at the time, I was working at UCLA as a... um, irrigation supervisor and so I started getting involved in um, in more um, systematic and uh, and automatic um, water management through technology well you got a pretty extended background I mean stuff like you know a distributor in the distributor uh, portion of our our industry working for um, you know other manufacturers um, you know what's what's sort of like the uh, what's the you know like the last uh, boy I can go I was going to say ten years of your story but you and I know <laughs> each other uh, Tom Raiden and and we can going back only ten years isn't going to tell much of the story is it so I tell you what go back as long as as far as you feel comfortable and tell us kind of what your what your history's been so so I'd like to say that um, I'm kind of in the final stage although I think there's one more. Um, job description that I might look at, but um, starting in um, the early 80s was a was the um, an, a landscape engineering company. So big big scale landscape projects. From there, uh, went to the municipal um, kind of maintenance uh, type and management type um, job at UCLA as the irrigation supervisor there and then water manager. From there, I went to um, distribution, where I ran, uh, I headed up the uh, central control water management division for uh, a local distributor in Southern California. Um, And then uh, all the while, I also had my own business um, that focused on developing, uh, helping develop newer technologies for water management, mostly on the communications side of it. Um, and now I'm, I'm doing what I think is probably um, the most difficult job, and that is commercial landscape maintenance, water management. So it's, um, you know, nobody wants, to, nobody wants to pay for water management, but they want that water management, right? Um, so the only the only thing left out would be working um, for a manufacturer in uh, you know development of um, uh, newer technologies. But um, I do get a chance. To, uh, the Toro Company has invited me several times to come and and work with them and um, looking at what the newest products you know might look like. Say you know in a, in three to five years down the road. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much all of it in a nutshell, right? Well, that's good well, job. We, 
We have a caller uh, who uh, wants to ask a question, and uh, I'll let him join. His name is Brian. So, Brian, you had a question uh, for Tom? Tom, how you doing? Doing good. Great. So, my question is, uh, what can, uh, how, do, how does manufacturing, uh, could, how could manufacturing help, um, you know, with the messaging about water conservation? I know you, you touch kind of the property managers and the end users and everything, but how can, how can the manufacturers work with you, work with the end users? What, what would be an important key, what would be an important element to continue to make sure that water conservation is at the top of everybody's list and people understand the value of water conservation? You know, as, as manufacturers, what, 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 what can we do to, to help uh, further that message? Well, um, I think that uh, manufacturers have been doing a, a pretty good job. Um, one of the things that um, I've been focus on, focusing on recently is, um, you know, technology sometimes gets a little bit difficult. People ask me, you know, you're, you know, over 60 and you work with computers and, you know, your cell phone and, and technology and all of that. Well, it's true. Um, but I think that, um, you know, in the early days of water management, the technology was really difficult to um, use, um, and it's getting better and better. Uh, and I think that um, um, as we move forward, we need to make it, um, I, I shouldn't say dumb it down, but we need to make it simple. You really Super user-friendly. How's that? Um, and I think once that happens, I don't think there's anybody out there that um, disagrees with the fact that, you know, water is um, one of our greatest natural resources and it's becoming scarce or it's abused. And so I think that um, just making the, the ability to... Um, and serve as easy as possible. I don't think we're going. I think we're going to have people just. I mean, you know, uh, taking it on um, very very readily. Um, did that does that help? I, I think it does from my standpoint. Let me ask a question, and this is for both Tom and Brian. I'll, and Tom, I'll let you an, uh, answer it first. But you know, when you talk about when you say the term. Um, uh, you know, water management, landscape water management, and then you use the term conservation. They're sort of synonymous, but but there's a little bit of separation between them. But I want to ask this question. You mentioned before, you you called the the whole landscape water management thing, you called it a community, right? Landscape water management community. So both of you, starting with you, Tom, first, what, how, you know, how do you define that? What, what does that mean? Is it manufacturers? Is it... Uh, distribution is it hoas is it uh, is it the technology what what what's the meaning behind community um a, a group so um that's why i'm kind of part of a group i'm trying to we put together like-minded individuals that have been in um in the business for for quite a while um have a lot of experience and um not not just one person can take this on. I mean, and the community 
Um, it has to um, it has to involve manufacturers, um, you know, putting out a product that that um, will fit the um, industry and the humanity. I, I should say. So everybody, <clears throat> I'm sorry, but everybody, I think everybody should be very aware of how much water they use. Are they really using it? Um, unfortunately, I think that um, the cost of water is going to need to be increased or um, the availability of water. I hate to say the availability of water needs to be reduced, but um, I think that everybody needs to um, take that into consideration. Um, how much water do you really need? Um, and, uh, you know, I make it a point, um, I'll, uh, leave for work in the morning and drive through the neighborhood and, and see some water, you know, flooding down the street and with some broken lines. And I'll make it a point to stop by that person's house at the end of the day not early in the morning when they're sleeping, but at the end of the day and say, hey, can I help you fix this? And most people are very receptive to that simply because they don't really know. So, you know, and of course they ask, can you just program my control? I said, no, how about if I show you how to work? And yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's just something I do. Well, you're talking about... I agree with your comment about uh, the value of water. You know, just imagine if we were paying gasoline at the price we're paying for water. Uh, it's, right. it's, a big, it's a big difference. But let me, let me ask you a question. How do you see, because in the, in the last couple of years, you know, one of the big things that everybody talks about, especially, you know, water efficiency, conservation, but how does that tie to sustainability? What's the relationship between water efficiency and sustainability that you see coming down the line? Well, I think that um, my perception of water management is providing um, proper amount of water, uh, and not only just the amount of water, but um, when it's applied, um, how often it's applied, etc., um, to create healthier landscape. And if you can create a healthy landscape that will sustain, uh, that is sustainable, then you actually will see a reduction in water use. So, um, and that's one of my things that I, um, I shouldn't say preach, but that's my focus um, at part three is creating sustainable landscapes. And typically when we start managing water, um, we want to reduce those bad habits, irrigation habits of watering frequently um, and less, uh, more frequent and less amount, um, which is simply wasted water. So we need to train the plant material, the landscape, to um, increase its root depth, its root growth, um, which then creates a healthier um, landscape and then usually uses less water. And so the first year, we train the landscape, kind of wean it off of that everyday watering cycle. And then um, by year two, we're starting to save water. Year three, 
Um, we're looking at, you know, landscape uh, plant material that's uh, tenfold healthier and using probably 30% or more less water. Right. Yeah, and let me let me describe for the listeners too, because you're you're in the Vegas area, right? You're not a, you're not exactly in uh, you know lush Wisconsin, right? So um, <laughs> added added challenges for you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I so of all the territories and areas that I've um, managed water in, and and I've I've, I've been a uh, I've worked across the country, but um, uh, Las Vegas is by far the most harsh um, environment to grow landscape, and and we try not to bring um, you know the lush uh, West LA, California, Orange County type landscape uh, to Las Vegas, but yet we are not a community of cacti, so um, that's where it becomes a little more difficult. Is that you? Um, you are trying to uh, sustain plant material that's not necessarily, oh, excuse me, not necessarily native to landscape, but it's not out of the picture that it can be healthy at, at, a, at a, uh, a conservative water with conservative water use. Yeah, I think that's a great description. There's a lot of ornamental plants that aren't, you know, native as they as as uh, as coined by, you know, the programs and stuff, if you want to get rebates and things like that. And I want to ask you a question about that, too, uh, Tom, while, while, while we're at it. But there are a lot of non-native plants that are drought tolerant, drought resistant uh, uh, as as well. Are you are you a proponent of all of just natives or 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 looking at ornamentals as well? Well, so um, there is a new um, I shouldn't say new. I think it's um three, four, maybe five years um, in the making, publishing. And that is that um, we like to, I like to water based on plant palette or origin. So water um, water requirements, you know, we're, we're all accustomed to those that are in the water management business are very accustomed to the, uh, I call it the bell curve, right? Um, January... Uh, in December are your low water use, July, August, to June, July are your high water use. But if you irrigate to what's called uh, plant origin, so this is one of the big mistakes that they make in California, which is primarily Mediterranean plant palette. Um, that is a summer water use reduction plant palette. So if we're following... ET, evapotranspiration, the bell curve, um, we are overwatering all of the Mediterranean plant material um, through in May, June, July, August. That's all supposed to be reduced water use, not increased water use. So that's one of the things that, that we've uh, been doing out here. Um, any of the plant uh, material that are Mediterranean, we actually turn the water down in the summertime, and uh, the the plants look healthier. Well, you know, Tom, when you when you go out and do audits and look at and look at the different plants, and I'm sure, I'm sure somebody maybe you're a consumer uh, type of residential uh, users, 
you know, uh, when you put a smart controller and they think this is going to be the wherewithal to fix everything, in many cases, the first time it runs for the year, they can actually see an increase in water usage. And, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen that. And because they, they weren't watering properly. How do you, how do you see that? What what is you know, and, and you know they don't they don't have any concept of or most of the people that I know who are homeowners don't you know they don't know the terms of crop coefficients and you know really what ET is or any of that stuff. How how, how has that been a, a dent in, in you thinking people adapt, adapting to the new technologies and things? Because you're right, people want things that are simple to use. They don't want an eighty five page manual to run a a six-station con- or a two-station controller in their home. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> right, correct. Well, and I'll tell you, Rob, um, one of the things that I think we're, we need to look forward to in the industry, and I know that it's maybe a buzzword, but um, it could be, you know, it needs to be integrated, um, AI. So um, uh, artificial intelligence, one of the, one of the first things that I, I tell users that ask me, how do I get my smart controller dialed in? And so um, this is a very simple phrase, uh, 2% every two weeks. So if you adjust your controller down 2% by uh, every two weeks until you see a small amount of stress in the landscape, then you come back up 2% and you're dialed in. And, and every, um, every controller uh, manufacturer out there, um, well, I would say, yeah, almost all of them have that ability to do that. Um, and um, again, uh, you know, did I get the right numbers in, like you said, the crop coefficient? Did I get the right precip rate in? Um, did I get the right soil type in and slope angle? And did I get all of these settings right? So what we really need to do as an industry is we need to kind of simplify that. Um, I don't use precip rate. I use application rate anymore. Uh, I don't use crop coefficient. I would use water requirement. So I, I do training classes um, twice a week. Um, for the company, uh, and um, everybody, I, I, I saw a lot of glazed eyes when I start talking about crop coefficients and precip rate. So um, you have to change it to some terminology that's more acceptable and more understandable. Uh, yeah, you know, I was going to ask. Um, you know, we do we broadcast uh, both in audio and video. Um, and maybe we can talk on another time that to have you come back and, and do a, a 30 or 45 minute presentation and we can, we can show the slides as you talk and, and that might be good. And, and what we give, uh, uh, well, we don't give, but we work with the Irrigation Association who gives uh, continuing education units for watching yes. that. So that, that might be something we'd love to ask you to come back. Uh, I think you're a world of information that people need to know, and, and you have a good, good, simple approach, but a very good technical way to approach it. We appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. It is, it is my passion, um, and um, I would love to, uh, again, the uh, Water Smart Technology Group was kind of founded to provide assistance to anybody that's interested. Excellent. 
Chris, any follow-up questions? Yeah, I got one real quick because I wanted to ask. I did write this down, and I wanted to ask Tom what your feelings were about uh, or what your sense was about uh, conservation in Las Vegas. I know that they've done a lot. There's been tons of articles. They've been, uh, you know, they've been showered with applause for all the stuff that they've done. But are there still rebate programs and things like that that residents in the, in the Las Vegas area can uh, uh, can look look toward? There, there are smart controller rebate programs um, where you can um, essentially get a, um, I believe it's a, a coupon to purchase a smart controller from one of the um, uh, local distributors or even online. If you, you know, prefer to use one of the online distributors or vendors of a smart controller, residential smart controller, um, there is uh, currently the uh, turf removal rebate program. Um, which um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bite my tongue a little bit, but I think that um, um, <laughs> um, I'm gonna say plants create our environment, and so if you start reducing plants, you um, reduce our environment. Uh, I think that we need to find just a better way to um, irrigate the landscape. Uh, and I think that we can probably save just as much water uh, if we could um, create a, uh, a just a, a very a super efficient irrigation, you know, process. And uh, yep. I, I, I say, plant more trees. Don't take them out. Plant yep. more. Couldn't agree. Couldn't yeah. agree with you more. We could, uh, Tom, we're going to get up to our uh, NBC yeah, hour here, and they're going to. Cut us okay. off. So, Rob, why don't you do your job here, buddy? And, uh, and uh, real, real quick, well, how, how can how can they get a hold of you? Is you got a website? Um, I don't, but uh, you can email me at watersmart at r three. That's p a r the number three landscape.com. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks, Tom, for coming on, and we're going to get back with you in a couple weeks to talk to you about some other things. And we appreciate it for our listeners. Thank you for listening and the most important thing Chris and I tell our listeners every week please help keep our planet blue our planet blue thank you KCAA Loma Linda the legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM